Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Michael Rand of the Star Tribune from TCO Performance Center. Thank you guys for waving. Uh, where the Minnesota Vikings are preparing on a short week with little time for the reigning NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles. And there, as Kevin O'Connell said, waves of defensive linemen that are going to come at them at Lincoln Financial Field. TJ Hawkinson also talked about the waves of things that are thrown at players from the stands at Lincoln Financial Field. <laughs> yes. And now players have to be ready for this. So we will discuss Sunday's matchup. How much Thursday's matchup. Or Thursday's matchup. Thank you. How That's much okay. Sunday does. How much this is my weekend? How much should uh anybody be pressing the panic button at this point? Um <laughs> at this point of the season after a 2017 loss to the Bucks, which you heard us talk about from U.S. Bank Stadium on Sunday night. Looking forward, Ben Garrett Bradbury was estimated as not being able to practice. Yes. Yesterday, Christian Darisaw was limited. I had talked to Christian on Sunday night, and he said he really hopes he can play, hoping he can, quote, turn that ankle around uh, for Thursday night. But you know he can play his ankle he backwards? He does not. Is that what he's worried about? He yeah. He ankle, so like, I think that was that the seems like a pretty serious problem. That was cause... the problem initially was he okay. turned it around. Yeah. Um, and those things obviously swell up. But he did tell me that this is not as severe of an injury as the one he played through in Virginia Tech, which was a high ankle sprain. So okay. he at least on the outset did not think that this was a high ankle sprain, which is a good sign for the Vikings and their 300-pound left tackle because they're going to need him and anybody who can block against this Eagles front. Uh, Ben, after having a day to digest this and look at the run game, you wrote about that for the Star Tribune. Um, I wanted to ask you just how concerned should the team be with their current state on the offense and the offensive line? Um, And what do you think about this matchup on Thursday night? Well, I mean, it's um, not an easy matchup even if you're healthy or even if you are coming and feeling good about yourselves, the Vikings are really neither of those things on the offensive line right now. That's a a loaded pass rush. It's a good defensive front. It's a secondary that may not have James Bradbury, but uh, Darius Slay is still there. There are lots of uh, potholes um, Waiting for the Vikings. There, there are there are lots of beer cans to be hurled around the corner. To put it more in Philly terms, less Minnesota terms. Um, a lot of batteries to throw. A lot of batteries to throw. Yes, um, it is not one that you want to come in with the offensive line in the state that it appeared to be in after Sunday's game. Um, having a new center in that building is not ideal either. Um, yeah, I. I I did not think this was going to be a win, even if they were healthy. I'm certainly not terribly optimistic about it being a win for them, given what we saw Sunday and given the state of the offensive line. Yeah, I think I think the same. I mean, in that you know, you guys obviously covered Sunday's game in the post game, and but Andrew in the um, lead up to this, you talked about you know should we be panicking. I don't think you panic over just like one outcome, but A, the way it happened where we see some of these familiar offensive line problems, then you compound that with you know two injuries right off the bat, one to your starting center that looks like it's going to keep them out at least for this week. One that will at least limit, I would think, Derrissaw in some way in this game. Even if he's able to play, you wouldn't think he's going to be as good as he normally is. So you got that to contend with. And just 
that plus little cracks that you saw the running game didn't really get going against Tampa Bay and maybe that's just a bad matchup who knows but the thing that you worry about is the 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 thing the games that you count as like bankable wins and Tampa Bay was not a guaranteed win but you know they were five six point favorites it was like okay Tampa Bay coming off a division title but they were eight and nine they have Baker Mayfield a quarterback like you look at that game and you say this is one you bank is a win in the NFL when you lose those we've got this penciled in at least as a win kind of games it's hard to overcome those so the way you kind of start to see not panic but concern creep in is when you look at the rest of the first half of the season schedule and you couple losing that game with how they lose that game and then suddenly you start looking at ah now they got to go to Philadelphia ah then it's the Chargers who should be pretty good then two weeks after that it's Patrick Mahomes and then not too long after that it's San Francisco and then at Green Bay suddenly looks like a more formidable game after Jordan Love had a good week one like the first half of the schedule suddenly looks a lot harder because of the way they played and because of the way some of these other teams are playing Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan the passion the hope the anticipation that incomparable feeling of winning Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. And all the luck that they enjoyed, and and they were obviously good at winning those close games. You don't win an NFL record one-score games unless you know how to do it, but some of it was luck. Some of it was the way the ball bounced or it got tipped or it got intercepted, and that all went against them on Sunday. That's Ed Ingram, the fluke play of him knocking the ball out of Kirk's hands. It's the bang-bang play at the goal line with K.J. Osborne getting the ball ripped out of his hands on a pass slightly behind him. It's these things that last year you enjoyed the Bills fumbling at the goal line. You enjoyed other teams making those mistakes and were able to capitalize, and the Vikings did not have such luck right out of the gate and you can't predict if that's going to be some premonition for how the rest of the season's going to go, but it does seem to be a little regression to the mean here of you had that luck last year, not always going to happen week in and week out or year after year, and you're going to need a lot of that luck on Thursday night, I think, to do it. And what's interesting is the Eagles kind of had to sweat out a win mm-hmm. against New England. Yeah, um, I believe that game was in New England. Um, but regardless, New England was not thought of to be some kind of great offense. And Mac Jones still threw for over 300 yards. They struggled to run the ball. New England did not have either of their starting guards, so no excuses. The game was in New England, which yeah, means uh, Thursday night, it's relevant because Thursday night is the Eagles' home opener. It does. It is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Philadelphia Phillies are playing host to the Atlanta Braves the same day. So those who may want to make it a double header can do so because they could go over to Citizens Bank Park to watch the Phillies play the Braves in the afternoon and then head on over to Lincoln Financial Field. Ben, have you confirmed whether alcohol will be sold at either of those venues? Uh, It will. uh, Fairly large series for the Phillies as they try to retain that hold on the wild card position in the National League. The Braves, of course, are 94-50, and have the best record in baseball. Big series, should be a big crowd. Alcohol will, in fact, be sold at Citizens Bank Park, as it will at Lincoln Financial Field and the establishments that abut both Uh facilities in the sports complex south of downtown Philadelphia. 
I remember after that uh, NFC championship loss the Vikings had there five years ago, whatever it was, six years ago, um, one of the only people who got arrested, somehow there was only like four <laughs> or five arrests, even though it was just like Mad Max style chaos before and after the game in the parking lots and in the venue during the game, uh, was somebody punched a police horse. <laughs> I, Alex Karras on the bit. Shouldn't laugh. Shouldn't laugh at that. But, but hey, that's what it takes to get arrested in Philly. Yeah. They're going to grease the light poles. They're going to do all the things to mitigate the crowd control or try to have crowd control. And it just you can't do it. Well, okay. I guess this. Uh, I I was thinking the game was the same day. They they are Wednesday night now is the last game <laughs> oh, with Atlanta. Oh, so man. for correction, oh man, I'm sure that means they will be. On their best Responsible, behavior. Responsible. Yeah, on their best behavior. <laughs> sober. Not at it just, all. just means they'll start tailgating at noon. Yeah. Instead I, of going to a baseball it, game and drinking. It remains the Eagles home opener. It is. In prime time on national yes. streaming we, television. We regret the error. This is not Access National League East. This I, Access I Vikings. was thinking that game was – I feel like I looked at that earlier in the year. I was thinking the game was the same day. Maybe they switched that somewhere along yeah, the line. Maybe. But, um, that could be. Because I, I remember thinking it was, it was like back-to-back. I'm like, oh, boy. Yeah. But, uh, no, there, there will be a 24-hour difference between the end of the Braves-Phillies series. Maybe just series. don't stop drinking. You can't just stay up all I, night. It's a two-day bender. Yeah. yeah. Can't I mean, drink all day if you don't start in the morning. So like it's that. a big <laughs> sports week in the city, the city of Brotherly Shove. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. They throw snowballs at Santa. They they carry a, a bed sheet that says bleep Millie. Yeah. Uh, poor, poor Millie, the Vikings, oldest Vikings fan that year. And to preempt all of the, well, whatever Eagles fans hear this, um, we at the Star Tribune, and I, I guess my peculiar career path specifically, I have been a good luck charm for Philadelphia sports. Yeah. The one Super Bowl I covered, the Eagles won. Mm-hmm. The two World Series I covered when I was covering baseball, the Phillies won the first one, and they played in the second one against the New York Yankees. Uh, covered a uh, regional with Villanova at the top of it as well. So don't come at me, Philly. Uh, I've been good to <laughs> please. you. Yes, please. Just when I'm leaving the stadium on early Friday morning. Yeah, Thursday let's, night, let's, Friday morning. Let's yeah. keep a cool head. We're, yeah. we're good. Eastern time, we're all good Friday here. morning. Now yeah. you're just making Vikings fans, man. Oh, I, yeah. You know, I'm I'm a a man of all people. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just I'm just here to cover the games. Yeah, you're just here to cover the games. But serious question though, like they did help how, me jump my car in the parking lot when I, when I needed jumper cables in Philly. Really? Uh, after covering a Capitals Flyers game, maybe I've told the story before. Had a Virginia plate on the car, and they asked me, "Was I a Caps fan?" It was a playoff game. And I said, no, I'm just here as a reporter. And they said, okay, we'll help you jump your car. Uh, if you were a fan, we would have beat you up. Like, that was the <laughs> actual discussion. Wow. So Good thing you were just a reporter. It, yes. Good thing I'm just a reporter. It, it started a long, uh, cordial relationship with <laughs> Philadelphia fans that you I'm a, confident will continue a, when a I'm working, leaving the stadium on Thursday. A evening. working understanding. How, yes. For you guys, though, like, how... How much of your perception of the Vikings has changed in the last four days? I and mean, how much should it change? I think it's, at least for me, it's it's reaffirmed that a lot of the issues we saw last year, because they turned over a decent amount of the roster, right? They do move on from a lot of high-priced veterans, but one of the main issues they had, the interior O-line, they kept together. And they kept talking about how coaches were really hopeful that Ed Ingram would take that next step. 
Uh, Bradbury, to his credit, did develop last year more under Kevin O'Connell, seemed more comfortable, seemed to be a better player. Um, but without him, you have a backup level interior. And there's a reason why Ezra Cleveland has not signed a contract extension or really even fielded much of an offer for one because uh, he hasn't really lived up to that second-round draft status. And this new front office doesn't seem too enamored with him either. And he misses the block uh, on a TJ Hawkinson screen that goes nowhere. Um, Ed Ingram had a number of errors. Uh, No one has yet blamed Ed Ingram for the Antoine Winfield strip sack. However, Kevin O'Connell quickly mentioned yesterday that on the first opening third down, they miss a stunt that we didn't handle very well. Well, that was past Ed Ingram. Yeah. Um, so there's a number of things that he committed incorrectly. Your backup center is a backup for a reason. To me, it more confirmed that, hey, they still got some glaring issues that they'd spent really a lot of the offseason trying to fix. Yeah, the the Winfield one, watching it back, it, it looked like either Cousins needed to recognize that sooner and realize he was hot and throw it, or Ingram needed to get off of a block I think I mean I think he was helping with somebody it was either Brad I think it was Bradbury yeah I think that the line kind of slanted yep. he followed the defensive tackle David up the gap David blitzed and so when Ingram went one way Ham had to fill on the first blitzer yep. and left the second blitzer free yep and that's where you're right I think when I saw it Tampa was showing seven. You have six blockers. Kirk right. needs to in my realize that in my zero experience as an NFL quarterback, I looked at that and thought you should probably try to get that ball out quickly, knowing that they might be bringing that pressure. But their protection scheme might have been such where Ed maybe should have shifted to the blitz because you had Ham filling in the middle. Yeah. So I could see it both ways, but yeah, I, I, it's to me it was yeah one of those two things, yeah. and you probably default to the quarterback saying. You know the protection. You're supposed to read it. But yeah, I, I don't. There were. It was not the only Ed Ingram moment in that game where you kind of went, mm, okay. Yeah. Well, what, how did this game, though, to Mike's question, how did that shift your thoughts on this team overall? Well, I mean, you look at the schedule now, it's like winning Thursday night is going to be really hard. Um, you come home to a talented offense, Austin Eckler is um, nursing an ankle injury. So we'll see if he's ready by that point. Um, regardless, that is an offense that can score some points. Um, I think it's a winnable game. Give up, some, give up some points, too. Yeah, yeah, they can give up, Yeah, as we saw Sunday. Uh, that looks like it could be a shootout. But you have to have that, and then you probably have to go win at Carolina because then after that, it's Patrick Mahomes coming to town. So um, it... The way that they lost, I think the big thing, we talked about it a little bit Sunday, um, the number of self-inflicted wounds was not something you saw them do a ton last year. As Justin Jefferson said, when we lose, we lose bad. And yeah. that was not the case on Sunday. That was a game that they should have won. It felt I like a Zimmer-era game. It, yes, it a did. A late Zimmer-era yes, game. that is a great way to put it. It felt like 2021 where they did the flip side of what they did in 22, where it was all these close games and they lost them all because they found ways to shoot themselves in the foot. I, I think the one it reminded me of is the opener in 21. Which, against the that? Bengals, the yeah. Ole Udo game, where it was just... <laughs> the Udo game. I had Cook fumbled in overtime, right. and it was yeah. all of these things where it's like, this game should be over. Yeah. 
Then the Bengals went to the Super Bowl that year, so they, they ended up being pretty good. But they did. I, I don't think this Buccaneers team is no. of that caliber. <laughs> I don't think so either. But that Bengals team hadn't proven anything at Joe, that point either. Maybe Joe, that helps get them on a roll. Joe Burrow, Baker Mayfield, Jamar Chase, Jamar Chase. Well, Mike Evans. You never know. Baker. Yeah. Baker could get hot. No, he's no, not he gonna. can't. He's, he's not going That's he's, true. I'm sorry. But yeah, it, I don't know. I, I just I don't want to overreact to one loss. But in the NFL, one bad loss can have a pretty outsized impact on your season, especially as you look at the schedule, like Ben said, and you're like, man, I'm trying to find like a realistic pathway for them to be four and four after, you know, at the relative midpoint now, because it gets easier after that. Like they, the kind of the middle to end of their schedule gets a lot more favorable, but like getting there in a spot where you feel good about yourself. Now, when you lose this one, it makes a big difference. It really does. It really does because, as you mentioned, first place schedule. Uh, they're hosting San Francisco at some point. Uh, obviously, they're playing Philadelphia. These are teams that the rest of the division is not playing. Yeah. Um, then they're also playing who else? Who's the other team that they're playing that the other teams aren't playing? San Francisco, Philly. Cincinnati. Cincinnati, thank you. Um, who, I mean, didn't look like world beaters, but by December rolls around, my guess is Joe Burrow's calf will be feeling good and his timing with Jamar Chase will be a lot better than it was in week one against Cleveland. So you are already at a disadvantage just from the schedule uh, than the rest of your division. And, oh, by the way, Jordan Love looked like a serviceable quarterback on Sunday, and Detroit gets to not face Travis Kelsey and Chris Jones in Kansas City, and guess who are both going to be there in week five? (laughs) Yeah, at least at this point, (laughs) it certainly looks that way that both those those guys would – Chris Jones, yes, because it's a contract thing, not an injury, but Travis Kelsey – one would think is, is playing have, as well. They have, what, nine road games this year and eight home games, whereas last year they had nine home games, seven road games, and a neutral site game. Yep. yep. And a double doink. And a double doink. I don't know. I, I don't want, like I said, I don't want to overreact, but... Sounds like you're pressing the panic button. I mean, it's it's just... their margin. He's taking the, the glass cover the, off of I'm, the panic I'm, button I'm, to I'm, press I'm, it. I'm, it's, it's always good to meticulously, meticulously prepare... To then panic, I want to be. I want to be. I want to be in a good position to panic. I want to be like right next to. Meticulously prepare to panic. I want to be. That sounds like the title of a memoir of a life as a Vikings fan. If I've ever heard one, it does. And I was going to say before, Andrew, uh, ham filling in the middle sounded like a delicious uh, breakfast (laughs) recipe, but. Well, we had the Hamman Munt package last year with yeah. Hawkins. Can't have, that have the ham I will, The other good thing I saw from this game is I think Josh Oliver. Isn't it? I like Josh Oliver. Josh Oliver seems like a good player and a better receiver than I thought he was. Ham and olive sandwich. He he might be aside from Brian Flores the only upgrades they've made. I want to hear from. Well, we yeah, we didn't Jordan see much. Addison. We didn't see much from. Yeah, that's true. He's he's decent. And and Byron Murphy, I, I still believe will be a good corner okay. for them. Yeah. He just wasn't put in position to make many plays. And frankly, they're going to face quarterbacks now that will test those guys more. And we will see because I I liked the little bit I saw from a Caleb Evans in terms of challenging the yes. the, the physicality yep. of Mike Evans. I thought the same, but. You have to think that Herbert, Hurts, Mahomes, these guys are going to look at their matchups on him and say, I'm much more comfortable just tossing it up there. Well, that's I think that's the biggest difference is you have – Baker Mayfield was not going to be a quarterback that beat you deep or had the ability to beat you deep very often. Jalen Hurts can beat you deep. Uh, Patrick Mahomes can do it. Justin Herbert can do it. And at least in the case of uh, – certainly, well, let's just take the first one <laughs> – A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, they have receivers that can beat you deep. So the 
chuck it up, see if this guy can run, track the ball, cover, play physically, not get penalized for a 45-yard pass interference, is going to be more in the game plan the next few weeks than perhaps we saw it on Sunday. Well, all right, Mike, I'm going to make you think optimistically here. What is the path to a Vikings victory on Thursday night? What do you think is going to have to happen in Philadelphia for them to somehow get out with a win? Because we did just see Philadelphia give up. I think it was 380 yards to the Patriots. Mm -hmm. And that was, again, a Patriots offense that was down two starting offensive linemen on the interior and one that was already bringing in Riley Reef to play for them, and he was out. So uh, it's not like – New England's offensive line's world beaters, and they found a way to get the ball out quickly for Mac Jones to throw for over 300 yards. It was a lot of 10 to 20-yard passes. It wasn't a ton of deep shots, but they were at least able to move the ball on Philadelphia. Now N'Kobe Dean is hurt. James Bradbury's hurt. Fletcher Cox is on the injury report. It seems like Philadelphia's defense took some shots on Sunday as much as the Vikings' offensive line did. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of it's going to be kind of a mix and match on offense with um, – some more quick stuff like you said that's what worked for new england that's what they're going to probably need to do to a certain degree if the offensive line is you know a a little suspect already but b banged up and going against a good defensive front so i didn't see a ton of like you know just get the ball to jordan addison and let's see if he can make a play type stuff we saw tight end screens that i hate we saw like a lot of good stuff to justin jefferson like on intermediate to you know those kind of like you know 15 to 20 yard routes if they had the time those were really connecting but do you have time to do that reliably against the Eagles or are some of those going to turn into second and 16 because Cousins is getting sacked so I think it's going to I guess maybe going to take one of Kevin O'Connell's better games as a play caller and kind of finding the right combination because they're going to need to score at least 27 I think to win this game yeah New England uh, was able to limit Philadelphia in terms of Philadelphia's offense in their rushing game Jalen Hurts I think only had like 39 yards rushing Uh, apparently Philadelphia's top running back is Kenneth Gainwell this time around Rashad Penny wasn't even active DeAndre Swift had two touches Um, although that seems to be a situation that could change in any given week of how they want to use those guys but Ben, I wanted to get your thoughts on the Vikings' run defense, which wasn't really tested by Tampa Bay. Yeah, what? How do you think they stack up in terms of like facing a real rushing offense? Well, that's I think still a question to be determined. I I thought they did a good job against the run on Sunday, but that's not yeah. the same challenge you're facing on Thursday night with Jalen Hurts and I mean Gainwell didn't have a. I mean he's not the same back as, as somebody that's going to scare you a ton, but. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's I think, a threat out of the backfield probably more so than even what we saw from the Bucks on Sunday too. So, I mean, Hurts is the big thing. Hurts is the big difference. And I think there's still a lot to determine with that group because I thought Kairos Tonga played well. Harrison Phillips they had in a number of different spots playing three technique at times and, and you know, pushed out to five technique on a few spots. But they still need to show that they can – handle the run consistently and this is a team that likes to run the ball from a lot of different looks and they are certainly going to try to test that yeah i wonder if they'll use tonga more in the middle against this matchup um i think he only played a handful of snaps on sunday they went more with bullard uh dean lowry who anybody's watched the packers for over the years just seemed like it was more of the same from him uh, on sunday i wasn't super impressed that with face mask penalty at the end of the game was oh yeah 
in a bad Hurtful. spot. Hurtful. Yeah, so you wonder if they're going to go more with Bullard, Tonga, Phillips, or, or how they're going to mix those things up because they need some some power in the middle there. And, and is it going to be an Ivan Pace show again at inside linebacker? You would think the Vikings are going to have to play more base personnel and more heavier personnel against Philadelphia uh, or suffer the consequences of trying to stop Jalen Hurts with your defensive backs on the field. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see how Flores plays it. Mike, you mentioned Kevin O'Connell in the offense. I was surprised at how, how, uh, ineffective their quick game was against yep. Tampa Bay. And I understand like Devin white, Levante, David, those guys crashed downhill. They disrupt things. They certainly did against the Vikings. Um, Philadelphia can do that, but they don't have Gardner Johnson anymore. He's gone. They are banged up in the middle of their defense, but now they've got Jalen Carter, who's pretty good in the middle as well. So I'm just wondering how can they scheme up that stuff? And can they get Addison more involved? Because how this shaked out on Sunday was Addison was only going out there when they were spreading the field. He was only going out there in the three wide stuff. It was all KJ Osborne with their kind of base running game personnel. And you're not going to trick anybody when you spread it out and then throw it quick. You know, they're going right. to have to find ways to, to load up the box and then get the ball out wide. Um, I wonder if they're going to change. I wonder if they saw anything in Jordan Addison that will change the way they use him and maybe put him on the field more. Yeah. I think they, they need to explore all those options. I think maybe they're, their game plan seemed relatively vanilla against Tampa Bay, I think. It seemed like they thought they could win with kind of a paint-by-numbers, take control of the ball, which they didn't, and that was a big part of the problem anyway. Um, they're going to have to show a lot more against Philadelphia, and they're going to get challenged a lot more on defense, like we said. And you and I talked about the other day just like um, how little they're getting from you know some of these 2022 draft picks and how that's making a dent in the defense right now i just had this thought that we talked about what Asamoah played Asamoah, sorry Asamoah oh, yeah, yep. played two defensive snaps mm-hmm. none for seen none for andrew booth jr um now one of their first one of their pick one of their picks used in the first three rounds last year of the last year's draft the 22 draft did have a strip sack when unfortunately that was ed ingram <laughs> <laughs> i see what you did there um yeah that Ben, that 2022 draft class is not looking pretty good. Uh, it has not been great, no. I mean, Lewis Seen is, is buried on the depth chart. Andrew Booth kind of is the same. And Seen made uh, an awful mistake. Yes, he did. On Sunday, yep. burning, costing them a timeout in a game where they needed to stop yes. the clock. Yeah, that, that there were a couple of things on that drive. Between, and it was the same drive as Dean Lowry, I believe. And, oh, okay, yeah. Um, yep. Well, no. It was at the end of the game either way. Dean Lowry was the one where they were trying to – that helped trying them run out the, the ball clock. Back. They're trying to get the ball back. Yeah, that situation. helped them run out the clock. Okay, that was two different mistakes on different drives. Um, yes, Seen made a big mistake. Andrew Booth is not a factor at the moment. Evans, he's okay. Yeah, I mean, Evans maybe is, doing is the well, best thing about yeah, that class I right now. So. Which he's played one game. Did this we? Year. I mean, we heard so much about Asamoah, uh, like thinking yeah. he was going to be. Yeah this big playmaker he played two defensive snaps is that how good pace is or is this how much he's fallen it was interesting that kevin o'connell i mean clearly this is left up to mike saravo and brian flores to to get the rotation and stuff but kevin did say after the game when asked that there was supposed to be a rotation there um you know and i'll have to i think he said i'll look into it or whatever um but ivan pace i thought played pretty well up until the very end where he kind of lets baker scramble for a first down and doesn't just deliver the the blow to knock him out of bounds 
Um, other than that, the undrafted rookie played pretty well, but he's also he wasn't also facing a test like we talk about with Philadelphia. Yeah, and I, I thought there were a couple of moments where the disadvantage he has size-wise showed up. I thought there were a couple times where you could see him kind of get swallowed up, but and you're going to have to deal with that throughout the year. But uh, overall, he certainly a lot of the things that they liked. I think you saw some of those things, but there's always going to be the thing of if he's giving up stature to linemen, you have to deal with that. Is Awesome on the doghouse already? I don't know. I or mean, is it, it just the injury? Yeah, it could be that. Uh, it could be that he didn't get as much practice time. Yeah. Um, we'll have to see how it shakes out. But yeah, it, it it seems like it's flipped pretty quickly. And it, I mean, the the thing that would make you think that they view him differently than they did last year is there's a different defensive coordinator. So maybe Brian Flores has a different opinion of Asamoa in terms of how much he likes him. And, I don't know. We'll see. And the only cool, Zimmer. and the only one of the only position coaches to change from uh, defensive court other than the the head man, the defensive yes. coordinator was that his position Mike coach. Sarabo. Yeah. So yeah. not only that, they've got a new inside linebackers coach uh, that that uh, Asamoa has to play under, and they've got a new defensive coordinator that clearly doesn't view him as a guy who can miss three weeks in training camp in all the preseason games and then jump right into a starting role. And we should – I know we've been tempering our expectations all offseason too and noting that Brian only played three games over 20 snaps defensively yeah. last year. It was a very limited sample it size was. that he flashed some playmaking potential, but he wasn't an every-down player by any means. No. And they felt comfortable putting an undrafted rookie out there right away. Um, and Kevin O'Connell also mentioned there's a reason why Pace was a high-priority target for us in the undrafted for agency that guaranteed him over $200,000 to come in. So there was clearly a bidding war for his services. Uh, he was really good at Cincinnati. Um, so this is more their guy, it would seem, yeah. than a third-round pick from last year. So yeah. I, I, found yeah. that, I found that an interesting development of where we're at. Uh, is there anything else we should get to heading into Thursday night before we head to the Vikings locker room? Um, I will be curious to see what the approach from Kirk Cousins looks like on Thursday night because that exchange on the sideline yeah, on that. Sunday was really interesting. Yeah, it was. And – it, what do you think that was? I, If I had to guess, and I'm just guessing, it's that he probably felt like he didn't have a lot of great options there and didn't love his menu at that point would be my, my educated guess. Um, he talked about it after the game, feeling like it was a, tight throw and he probably should have progressed on to Jordan Addison. Jordan Addison wasn't super open either. If anything, it was the the hitch to Hawkinson probably tightened up the windows and tightened up the time frame for all of it a little bit at the beginning of it before he moved on to Osborne. But Kevin O'Connell was making a point of saying, I liked the aggressiveness here. And Cousins was saying, I shouldn't have thrown it. The <laughs> It's worth watching, I think, because O'Connell is trying to do the, hey, don't let the one throw ruin the approach we overall want you to have. And you take all that, throw it in the mix, going into Philadelphia in a Thursday night game. Uh, Cousins is on a one-game uh, primetime winning streak, I believe, mm. Mm. Um, and from a Thursday well. night last year. When was the playoff game last it year? It was late afternoon. Okay. Um, doesn't, count. doesn't count. But 
I mean, playoff game probably counts, <laughs> but um, they, there were a lot of things. The fourth and eight game. play counted. The fourth and eight play counted. Yes, that is not in the playbook. Not in the playbook anymore. Throw the tight end screen out of the playbook. Thousands too. of words I wrote last week. That little <laughs> gem from Wes throw. Phillips was. Uh, can you ask Wes? Or I'll ask Wes. Someone's asked Wes Phillips. Can you throw the tight end screen out of the playbook yeah, too, please? Yeah. But the the cousin anyway. The the cousins sort of thought process. The, how much he wants to walk that line of aggressiveness, That's, I think, is worth watching. That was my take, too. I still think if there's any tension between – I think tension's the wrong word, but if there's any kind of, like, give-take-push-pull between Cousins and O'Connell in year two, it's that O'Connell's still trying to push him into a territory that he's still not 100% yeah, comfortable yeah. in terms of those tight window throws. Yeah. And if he's sitting there screaming at someone on the side, it's because he's saying – I did exactly what you guys wanted to do and ended with a bleeping interception in the red zone. Well, and that was very quickly. Sorry, Andrew. The the, the thing in the preseason, too, where Cousins talked about, I think I asked him, year two in this offense, what does this do to help you? Joint practice against the Cardinals. He flashed back to a, a play going against Jonathan Gannon. Jonathan Gannon was the Eagles defensive yeah. coordinator last year. He talked about a play where he ended up trying to get it to Dalvin Cook, who was covered and his tight end was wide open so this year he saw the same blitz recognized it threw to the tight end this time and then went back and watched it later and coaches told him hey there was even a better throw out there later on on that play and I asked O'Connell about that I think the same day I was yeah. talking to him for season preview stuff and O'Connell just smiled and goes there was a better <laughs> throw and I said something downfield I assume and he said yes so yes I, I think that trying to nudge him to jump off the high dive is still a, a thing that they're talking about. It's also hard to go through your progressions when a certain right guard is getting yeah. tossed aside very quickly. And you could see if you watched, because uh, CBS showed the backfield view of that interception at the goal line, uh, Cousins is throwing it right as the defender kind of comes free at him. Yep. I don't know if he would have had time for another hitch to then get to another progression or another yeah, guy. Yeah. And if I'm Kirk, that's what I'm saying on the sideline is if you wanted me to keep going, I don't have time for that. Which, I don't, is, which was kind of goes back to the fourth and eight play too. Yeah. Yep. It does. So And probably Kirk Cousins' whole career in Minnesota. Yeah. The number of times he's been hit. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, well, with that, we will leave you guys with this episode. Please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com, and we will talk to you guys again with a mailbag and in Philadelphia after a result. Going that, to Philly this week. That is to be seen. Get excited. 